tried to be both broken and fixed at the same time because I still believed it was my responsibility to have seen what was broken, realized it was bad, and fixed it somehow, whatever that even meant. I don't know if you're going to see this voice, my mom. I thought I was happy. Are, are you happy? I'm not happy at all. The question is, are you happy? Are you happy? I'm the happiest I've ever been happy? right now. P.S. Be the person who you'd want to meet because somebody needs you. Welcome to Are You Happy? The Happy Hour. And welcome back, everyone, to another episode of Are You Happy? Podcast. Thanks to Podmatch, we have found another excellent connection, and I'm going to let him tell you all about his amazing self. So without further ado, Kellen, how are you today? I'm just outrageous. Best day of my life. Is that right? And why is that? It's the best day of my life because I said so. It's the only one I've got, It's and, and it's all there is, and so it is absolutely better than any other day there ever was. Was there a time in your life when it wasn't the best day? Absolutely. It was many, many decades where it was worst, awful, terrible. I remember saying all the time, I just want to be unconscious, and that meant anything from sedated with substances to asleep to anything but facing what was the pain and misery of my then life. Yes. So that sounds like there was a definitely a complicated past. Can you dive back into that and kind of give us a little bit more background? Well, I can absolutely, and I'm happy to do that. The question is a little bit more background. So there's lots there. How much do you want? However much you want to provide. I guess, like, where did it all begin? Like, where does it root when you're wanting to be, you know, not here anymore and not present? Where does that root from? Well, I was raised in a two-parent home, typically sort of looked typical from the outside, but the the discipline, it was a religious-based sort of discipline that today would be felony child abuse, and I would have been removed oh, wow. from the home. And so I grew up not talking to anyone, hiding, learning to lie to protect myself, got to be really good at it, left home at 17, and the discipline was based on religion and being good. So it wasn't just be a good boy, Johnny, it was, if you don't, you're going to hell and all the rest. Mm-hmm. And so I believed all that. And you'd sort of think when you leave home, why you could be yourself. But it was imprinted on me enough that I spent my adult life for the next 35 years, from when I left home at 17 until I was 52, trying to prove that I was okay. And that meant okay in the eyes of my mom, which who is the principal sort of person that did all that stuff, uh, was unhappy, unsuccessful at ever, you know, getting the approved stamp in the forehead. And, but I was very good at making money and creating big success. The problem is then I believed that I didn't deserve it. So I would sabotage it. So I lived a roller coaster of creating big career and financial success and then wrecking it. And I did that over and over and over again for 35 years. By the time August of 2007 came around, I had been married and divorced three times. I was living single as a single dad with four of my 10 kids living with me. And I was making so much money that my $3,000 a week cocaine habit didn't matter. And I had just attempted suicide two weeks before. So during all those years, especially the last five or six, it was just very common for just to feel like I just want to be unconscious. And so any substance that was handy, I didn't deserve all the success I had. I hated myself, but I had to keep up sort of appearances and I lived that kind of two-faced life, kind of like they make movies about. So that was me in August of 2007. 
Wow, you certainly come a long, long way for sure. I'm curious, what was it in your life that just hit you in the face and changed the course of everything? Well, that good that you describe it that way because it was that dramatic. In August of 2007, I came home from work on a Friday and I was going to go out and party for the weekend because I always did and the four kids took care of themselves. They were all teenagers. And as I got ready to go out to party, I had this irresistible urge to turn on the television. Now, that doesn't sound like anything except I picked up the remote and I'd had the big coolest stuff installed because that's what you buy, right? And I looked at the remote and I'm like, ooh, I don't know how to turn this on because I wasn't really a TV watcher. I bought it for the kids and their friends. So I had to ask my daughter my, how to turn it on. My 16-year-old daughter, she punched some buttons and threw the remote at me, you know, dipweed. And it landed on a program I'd never heard of. I doubt yeah. is still on, but it was a reality TV show called Intervention. You know that show, huh? <laughs> I do, I do, yeah. I'd never seen, I'd never even heard of it. But anyway, the protagonist was a high-ranking executive with a cocaine problem. So I watched about 10 minutes of my story on the screen and I said, yeah, I'm not watching this crap. So mm -hmm. I turned it off and I went and did some other stuff and then I was ready to go. And I felt absolutely compelled to turn the TV back on. So this time I knew how. I did. <laughs> and that show started over. No, I don't have a DVR. No, it wasn't on the television schedule. No, it can't do that. I understand that, but it did. So it freaked me out. I sat down and I thought, okay, I guess I'm supposed to watch this. So I did. It went badly. The guy screamed at his family, swore he didn't have a problem, stomped out and, you know, the drill. But it freaked me out. And it freaked me out bad enough that I didn't go anywhere. I went to bed. When I went to bed, I went to hell. And what I mean by that is I went somewhere. It felt out of body. I was in a dark room. I could see, you know, scenes on the stage and hear voices. And the scenes that played out on the stage were all focused on suffering that had happened in my life. So starting at the beginning, all the suffering that had been inflicted on me with, you know, mostly physical and some sexual abuse, up through the suffering I had inflicted on everybody else as a rotten marriage partner and an addict and a liar and everything else that I had been. It went on for what seemed like forever. And the intensity of the emotional experience was beyond my ability to describe. But after a long time, a voice said, it is enough. I woke up and I was disoriented because the sun was shining in the window and the windows faced west. So I got up and realized it was five o'clock Saturday afternoon. So I'd been somewhere for nearly 18 hours and I was, I thought, well, I realized I'd been invited to change, but I had no idea what to do, how to start, who to talk to or anything because I'd never done that. I'd sort of lived in isolation. But what I knew for sure was I'm done with this. So I threw away a thousand dollars or so worth of stuff I had laying around because I always did. I quit cold turkey that day. That was, and that got me sober, but it didn't do anything to address how I got there in the first place, which is the depression and the self-loathing and self-sabotage and the whole story. Part two of the program was next. Monday, I went back to work. And even though I knew I had to get out of everything, I have to get rid of all this stuff and start over, you know, one thing at a time, right? So I went back to work and in the position I had, I used to get free stuff. I had authority. I made big decisions that affected other companies, sometimes to the tune of billions of dollars. And so people used to give me free stuff, free tickets to sporting events and free box seats to this and that sort of stuff. One of the things I got was a pair of tickets to see a Yo-Yo Ma concert. Now, if you know classical music, you know who that is. And if you don't, you don't. But in the classical world, that's like... It's one of the Holy Grails, yes. It absolutely is. Yeah, all right. Well, you know. But anyway, so they were $1,000 <laughs> tickets. And I thought, oh my heck, I would be ashamed to waste this other ticket because 
because I had no one to take. So I asked in the groups that I managed, I said, does anybody like classical music? And some lady in one of the groups said, well, uh, I do. And I looked at her and I said, okay, have I ever given you anything before? Because I gave away stuff all the time. And she said, no, I gave it to her. Okay, fine. See you there. So I gave her the ticket. We met at the venue. The concert was amazing. And the date of the concert, I'm now two weeks stone cold sober. Halfway through the show, this feeling came over me that I recognized from two weeks before. And this voice said to me, you need to marry this woman. And I said, you are insane. I said, I've screwed that up three times officially. I don't know if she has a relationship like I know her because she's in one of my groups, but I don't know her. And, and besides that, she could call the cops or HR or something. I mean, this is harassment, right? So I argued, and you don't win those arguments. So I did, and it went about, oh, I, before I did, I argued like crazy. And then later that night, we were actually backstage, because the reason they were $1,000 tickets is because they included backstage passes and the reception and all this stuff. So when we're backstage, the voice came back and said, and you need to tell her tonight. So then I really went crazy because I'm thinking this could end up with me in jail. So this is not a good thing. And you don't win those arguments. So I did. And it went about like you would have expected. Are you insane? What are you talking about? <laughs> like, what the frick, right? Right. But the good news is she didn't have a relationship, which I didn't know. And she did not call the authorities or HR or anything like that. Over the next two weeks... She had her own set of experiences, and about two weeks or so after the concert, she resigned from her entire career. I walked away from millions of dollars of contracts, and we walked off into the sunset together. And last December, almost six months ago, we celebrated our 15th wedding anniversary. Wow. Yeah. So as crazy as that is, the reason it's important is because she was literally the angel that was sent to help me learn how to be a person, to learn how to tell the truth to learn how to have a friend, to learn how to be a friend, all the things that I never learned, even though I'd been married three times and faked and bluffed and everything my way through life because I knew how to make money. And so, you know what the most fun part is? Her name is Joy. Like, you can't you can't make this stuff up, right? Yeah, it's like your TV turning back onto that program again. It is. And so, literally, those are the two pieces of this divine invitation that invited me to change. Now, it didn't do any of the work. There was no Harry Potter one to fix anything. I had mm -hmm. to go start seeing people and change my whole life and relearn all my habits and everything else. But that was the turning point. And do you think that those type of invitations happen to other people as well, and maybe they just don't see them or accept them? I think we all have them all the time. Some, most of the time, they're quiet, they're nudges, they're intuition, they're feelings, they're invitations that we get. And like I had all my life, we ignore them. The only reason that one was so loud is apparently I needed a two by four in order to <laughs> at least pay attention. And it did, like I said, it didn't do any of the work for me. I still had to do all of the work of change, but the invitation was so loud that I said, I don't care. I don't know what I have to do. I don't know who I have to talk to or where I have to go or how to do any of this. But what I know is I'm done with that. And that was the pile of old. And so I guess like throughout your relationship with her, were certain things like brought up for you that maybe were really difficult to deal with in the past because of your other marriages? And then you just kind of worked through them together? Or how did that work? Well, she knew I'd been married three times. She knew I had 10 kids. She knew that I had all kinds of baggage and that my life behind me was a battlefield. She knew I'd been in and out of rehab. Everybody in the office knew. They didn't know like officially, but they knew I was an addict and... So the answer is yes, of course, they all came up and they all had to be organized. But what 
what we said at the beginning, I told her everything, is there was no point in not. And we know both of us knew how crazy this whole thing sounded and how crazy it was. <clears throat> and what we decided is, I've asked her a hundred times, what on earth prompted you to quit your career and walk off into the sunset with a drug addict? And she said, I just knew to the core of my soul it was the right thing to do. So, yeah, we basically started and said, okay, if we're going to do this insane thing, like both walk away and without a clue what we're going to do, then this is ride or die, baby. Mm -hmm. And so that's how we approached it. And yeah, it was all kinds of work to get to know each other, to understand. I mean, I didn't know her and she knew me only as the boss, actually her mm. boss's boss, you know, and I didn't really, you know, know her very well at all. And the whole thing was crazy, but we said, you know, ride or die. And so whenever those things <laughs> happened and they happened, we went back to how did this start? It started with this knowledge and with this thing. So we've got to figure this out. So do you ever think of that idea that the person, your angel was literally feet away from you that whole time? I wasn't ready. When I came to that position, it had been four years before that. So I was a high-powered consultant and I was brought in to manage a gigantic project for six years. And this was the fourth year in the six. And I had done most of the work, like 95% of the work that I had been brought in to do. And if I had stayed two more years, it would have been just sort of maintenance mode anyway. But it paid very, very well. You know, it was amazing. It's like I met this person for the first time that moment. And it was terrifying to see say what I had felt and knowing what her reaction would be and what it better be. Like, are you mad? It better be that or something's wrong, right? So I knew what I needed to do and I didn't know what she was going to do. So I just did it and I figured it will figure it out. And she didn't say anything except I was insane and left. And then, you know, later, a couple of weeks later, we talked a little and it took about two weeks for her to figure out that this was what she was going to do. So two weeks or three weeks, I don't remember exactly after that concert, we had both quit. Within a week or two, she had put her place on the market. She moved in with me. We were together literally within a month. We got married two months later and figured it out as we went. I am so curious about like your life before that. So you mentioned, you know, being hurt, of course, but then also, you know, hurting other people. Was that like part of your healing process to understand that you also hurt other people and how to deal with that? So absolutely. And the hurting other people, like I knew that I had been raised very violently and I had sworn I would not do that. So I had not passed on that piece, but I was inattentive. I was not there. I was an addict. I, I lied all the time. I didn't create the kind of home environment and I wrecked the relationships that I was in one at a time because I didn't deserve to be happy. And I believed that to the core of my soul at that time. So I thought this can't, it's not okay for me to be doing okay and be happy. So I would wreck them. I would do things either a little or a lot to ruin the relationships that I had. And I did it over and over again. And then, so in your life, when did you decide or allow yourself to understand that you were allowed to be happy? Well, that was part of the healing from 2007, the end of seven, when that happened to probably 2011, four years of maybe into 12, four years of really intense work. And by intense work, I meant I read a lot. I went to a million different counselors. My first experience with counselors was a disaster. I didn't know how to tell the truth. I thought I should not only tell them everything, but have all the answers too, because I was supposed to know everything. And so I'm sure the first three or four counselors I talked to thought I was nuts because I 
didn't know how to be open, vulnerable, quiet, listen, experiment with different things. I didn't know how to go be broken. You know, I had to be okay. I had to prove I was okay. I didn't know how to just go be broken and explore growth together. And enjoy to her eternal credit, was invincible. When I didn't like one counselor after a while or I didn't feel like it was doing anything, she'd find me another one. I looked up their bio. I looked up this and that and the other, and maybe we'll try this one. And Okay. So I went to try that one. My favorite one she found, this is going to be funny, but it was a guy who was 10 years older than me. He had long hair, ponytail. He was an ex-biker, ex-drug addict. Oh, by the way, PhD forensic psychologist. And yeah, well, I could talk to him, right? We went at it for many, many sessions. And one of the things he liked to do was holotropic breath work, which is, you know, on on your back, on the floor, on a mat, and certain breathing techniques for a long time, like over an hour. And, you know, he would, we would talk for a while and identify something and he'd say, all right, let's take that to the mat. I would do that for an hour and have insights and holotropic breath work, if you're not familiar with it, puts you in an altered state because of the flow of blood and oxygen. It was very interesting and very insightful. So that was just some of the, you know, weird stuff. I mean, I've done every kind of therapy you ever heard of, acceptance commitment therapy, cognitive behavioral therapy, gestalt therapy, where you talk to a chair and just on and on and on, all of those different things to explore what do I need to do, depression, antidepressants, to medication, try this, try that, you know, to, to sort of get things stabilized and organized. But the key was I finally said, look, I don't know how to fix this. I don't even know if these people I'm talking to know how to fix it. But what I'm not going to do is give up. What I'm not going to do is relinquish my choice to pursue the path of healing. And you said something that was really Well, all of that is really interesting, but something that stood out was that you said you didn't know how and how to be broken, how to be a patient. Can you tell us more about that? Because no one's ever really touched on that. It's so true. Everyone is really awkward when they go to see someone and no one ever really gets that complete help because you don't know how to be. So one of the things that came from my broken childhood that damaged my marriages is when I would go back home with whatever person I was married to at the time, my mom never liked any of them, She, but she liked me even less. So I was always bad for whatever I did. And she would criticize me in front of them and behind my back and everywhere else. And the feeling I got was no matter what was wrong, I should already have foreseen that and done whatever needed to be done so it didn't happen. How that translated into therapy is I would go talk to somebody. I would tell them whatever I was on my mind, the struggles I was having. And then I would say, and I did this, and I tried this, and this fixed that. And so I tried to be both broken and fixed at the same time because I still believed it was my responsibility to have seen what was broken, have realized it was bad, and fixed it somehow, whatever that even meant. And so I'm sure the beginning shrinks thought, you know what, the frick. This guy is trying to be all of it all at once. And I had to learn how to just be broken and to talk and to listen and to explore and to shut up more and allow for the possibility that different ideas might do something. As far as like your happiness now and what you do now, can you tell us after all of your experience, after everything that you've been through, how that all led up to right now where you are? 
Yeah. After I walked away from all that and we you know, went to work for a few years trying to figure out what to do, I had to think, what do I know how to do? As a consultant, I'd been highly paid to come and solve difficult problems. And so I thought about it for a while and I thought, I know how to help people do hard things. Maybe that's coaching. So then I started exploring that and took some coaching certification courses to explore it and decided I really love the process of being of service and helping, but I also have a wild and very diverse background that allows me to both connect with and love all kinds of people. So I just gave myself fully to that thought and have now written 18 books and created all kinds of programs for that purpose. And my purpose this year is to help 50 million people to discover and to serve with their divine gifts. And so it's just been a gradual evolution, getting ever broader and bigger and more fun until now I'm in the place where I said what I said at the beginning, how are you today? Best day of my life. And I mean it, life and breath. There's no weirdness or, or being funny about it at all. Every minute is pure, it is precious, and I only do exactly one thing at a time. I never multitask and I'm only doing exactly what I'm doing and I love it. That almost sounds like you're mindfully present in everything that you do. It's become that much of a habit. So I will wake up and even the seconds before I wake up, words of meditation and prayer will be on my lips before I even open my eyes. It's become that much of a habit. And when I go to sleep at night, I'm connected with like people call higher power, whatever they call it, universe, higher self, universal consciousness, God, the divine, everything I have developed. It didn't just happen. I have developed that kind of relationship where it's just there all the time, and that takes a boatload of work, but I enjoy that place better than anything I've ever done or experienced before, so it's worth the effort. Definitely. If you could share a message with the world, any message at all, what would that be? Two things. Number one, you, each one of you who are listening, you're a divine being. You were created on purpose. There's no accidents. And you were given gifts and talents. Now, as you go through this experience, we all work. We learn some skill. Maybe we deliver pizzas. Maybe we build buildings. Maybe we're astrophysicists. But we learn some skill and we sell that skill. The thing I wish to impress on people is we were given gifts. So I can either work and sell the skill that I developed, or I can develop the skills I, and talents I was given and serve with those. That's more fun. It's more effective and has more impact and you make more money if that's important to a person. So the message is your divine gifts and talents are the way to live a life of purpose, prosperity, and joy. So that's the first piece. And the second piece is, I don't care where you've been. I don't care what's happened to you. I don't care how broken or mashed you've been. I was 52 when I started on this journey. And if there was ever a candidate to be left at the bottom of the canyon, I was it. And if there is an invitation extended to me, then it's never too late to change direction and start to move in a new direction. That is amazing. We actually, you answered some of the initial questions that we asked in the beginning, which one being, are you happy? And you just came in with this immense energy, but you already answered that. Can you tell me just one little other question, which is what are some other things in your daily life right now that just really make you happy? Things that, that sing, things that it's almost as though, you know, happiness is looking right at you. 
I'll tell you what I, one thing that I do. Since I declared my intent to have this year be the year that I'm going to reach 50 million people, I do a, a video every day that live streams to five Facebook platforms, YouTube and LinkedIn. And the name of the video, it's 10, 15 minutes long, it's called Road to 50 Million, which documents the things that I'm doing and my own podcast and appearances like this one and everything to give people that message of encouragement and hope. Making those videos every day looking right in the camera and just loving with everything I have, anyone that might hear or feel or wonder. That is just a delightful, soul-stirring experience every single day. Well, it has been delightful listening to you and hearing your experience. I'm so glad that you found your angel, that you went for it, and that you just really just, you know, changed the entire course. Because you wouldn't be here and, and your words would not touch many people. So we look forward to hearing about your 50 million and following you. And, and speaking of that, can you tell people where else to find you online? You know, the fun part about having a weird name like Kellen Flukiger is that <laughs> I, can't, I can't hide. So I have my website, kellenflukiger.com. You can find me at a site called yourultimatelife.ca. I've written 18 books and they're all on Amazon. I have 85 songs and they're on Spotify and they tell stories from some of the books. And some of them are other kinds of music too, because I've been a musician forever. Uh -huh. And so any social, you can find me. If you Google my name, there's tens of thousands of hits because of my executive career and um, what I've done in the last 15 years. So as long as you spell my name right, I can't hide. You said a magic word there. You said musician. I'm a musician. What did you play or what have you played throughout your lifetime? I started piano when I was five. I taught piano starting at 17. I've taught jazz improv and orchestration and electronic music at college. I've been in a group that charted number one on Billboard three times as a vocalist. So I'm a piano player principally and a singer, although I've played some other instruments too. So that and I still have a studio. I was just working in it. Just now I'm working on a, another set of songs that tell stories from the book. Some of the books that I've written, I wrote a book called Tightrope of Depression and another one called Down from the Gallows. And there's two more underway. And so I just do stuff that carry the message. And I imagine that it also helps you work through things as well while you're writing and sharing that. Most certainly. When I wrote Tightrope, I wrote in the introduction, I said, I'm writing this book for three reasons. First of all, I need to. Second, I'm writing it for anybody that's struggling like me. And third, I'm writing it for anybody who, that cares for people like I was. So maybe they'll have some help or insight into busted people like I was. Yeah, when you were talking about Yo-Yo Ma, it reminded me of my, my own musicianship. And I really think that music just lives in you. So it makes sense that, you know, it, it'll stay with you forever in one way or another. Either you'll still play or you'll hear it. And, you know, it's, it's always a part of you. 100%. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for being here with us. And again, look forward to seeing everything that you do. And we will for sure check out your music and your books. And we just might have to make one of your music pieces a backtrack to your you. Well, I want to honor you. Abduna podcast is a labor of love. And there's some yearning and love and joy in your heart that you feel compelled to chase around people like me and others to, and to share a message and to be the purveyor of that. So I'm grateful for the work you're doing. I honor you for your effort and your energy. And thank you for having me. Ah, oh, thank you so much. Your name is amazing, by the way. <laughs> you have an amazing week and we'll see you soon. Thanks again. You bet.
The Are You Happy Hour and Are You Happy Hotline are brought to you by Are You Happy Podcast. Be sure to follow us on social media such as Instagram and subscribe via your favorite podcast platform. Are You Happy? The docuseries can also be found on social media such as Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok. See you guys next time for another wonderful episode of Are You Happy? The Happy Hour.